Welcome to The Starfield, a podcast about space, astronomers, and how exactly one enters this field of study. I'm your host, Hannah Marker, an undergraduate at the University of Arizona. I'm graduating in a little more than a month. I don't know exactly what's going to happen after I graduate. I used to think I was going to go to graduate school and get a doctorate in astrophysics and do research. Now I'm working on taking more classes as preparation for medical school. We talk today about how the job of an astronomer might change as time goes on. Through our three segments, we'll see how a career in astronomy may shift with recent events, with time, and with personal goals. As for the details, stay with us. We want to start today by looking at another object in Dr. Chris Impey's office, one which speaks to the changing climate around crewed space missions. Dr. Impey is Distinguished Professor of Astronomy and an Associate Dean of the College of Science, and his office is full of artifacts from his time as an astronomer. The item we're looking at today is a poster that hangs on the large whiteboard dominating one side of the room. The poster itself isn't huge, maybe a foot and a half tall by a foot wide. Dr. Impey describes it a little bit further here. A poster that's meaningful because it represents a future that we're entering is a poster that NASA produced uh, called, and it's a picture of an astronaut doing quite an athletic thing for an astronaut because, you know, you're used to them galumping around on the moon and that's about all, and it's pretty clumsy. So this astronaut is, you know, athletically scaling a vertical wall, chasm, on Mars. You can see the red rock and the red background. And at the bottom it says, Mars Explorers Wanted. So it's a sort of job ad for Mars Explorers. Of course, NASA isn't the only company or organization these days looking for people who might go to space. So they actually made a series, a small series of posters that were trying to pump up the new age of space exploration because we think it's going to happen. Um, now, it's pretty hard to imagine that because the U.S. is now entering, I think, a seventh year where we haven't been able to put an astronaut in space without help from the Russians and most people know we're not too friendly with them right now, so that's an awkward thing to depend on the Russians. So since the shuttle, um, you know, was grounded, America has not had a launch capability for astronauts. We've depended on the Soyuz. Uh, and that gap is stretching out, and probably the person who will end that is Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk, the two people who end that with their private space probes. So in the doldrums of of a long time when America has not even been able to put an astronaut in Earth orbit, it seems bizarre to think about space exploration, but there are plans afoot, and NASA and the private sector and Europeans and Japanese are, are planning moon bases, they're planning Mars bases, they're planning deep solar system exploration, and it, it seems to be real. I mean, it's not just around the corner, but it's going to happen. The technologies are already being developed. It takes a, it takes a fair amount of money. It takes time. Um, and so having a job ad for Mars Explorers is probably totally appropriate for an 11-year-old. I mean, if you're trying to hook an 11- or 12-year-old boy or girl into space exploration in the future, now's about the time to seed the hook because by the time they're 20, yeah, we probably will want people willing to go to Mars. And They're even being called the Mars Generation, the group of current students, maybe in middle school right now, who will be the right age when we hypothetically are ready to go to Mars. Dr. MP remains really optimistic about them. Yes, it's been a while, but that doesn't mean we'll never go back to space. You know, the poster just reminds me 
that even though things seem to be going slowly and we seem to have gone backwards, it's hard to believe it's almost a half a century since the last person set foot on the moon. That's just ridiculous to most space fans. That's just crazy. How could we have treaded water for so long? Well, things are probably changing and there's a future when we will be exploring Mars. Next, I want to take a quick look at two areas which are constantly impacting astronomers and their work, funding and politics. These are two integral parts of the scientific community. Many astronomers are vying for limited resources, and possibly the group who is most visibly doing this is NASA. The 2020 proposed NASA budget was recently released, and it focuses heavily on the Moon to Mars program and the Lunar Gateway, which is a proposed station in orbit around the Moon as a stepping point to Mars. Additionally, there is continued funding for the Space Launch System, the SLS, which is NASA's new rocket that'll take people back into space. However, one of the most significant cuts in the proposed budget is for NASA's Education and Outreach Department. The cut takes NASA's STEM education funding from $110 million to zero. This includes funding for internships, fellowships, and postdoctoral programs, programs that funnel STEM education into elementary and middle schools. Many of these funding decisions are heavily rooted in politics. Vice President Mike Pence announced recently that President Trump intends to put Americans back on the moon by 2024. This is an ambitious goal, considering the current state of the space launch system, which is significantly over budget and has been delayed for many years. Pence also said if NASA has issues with this goal, quote, we need to change the organization, not the mission. This plan seemingly has the support of NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine, who recently admitted that the SLS is not on schedule, but who has promised that the SLS will be involved in the planned 2024 Exploratory Mission 3. However, the interesting thing is about politics and funding is that they're always changing. The climate around funding astronomy and space exploration today might be very different in the future, and as astronomers, we just have to change with it. Finally, it turns out that fiscal and political change or changing technology isn't always the deciding factor for what an astronomer's career ends up looking like. It could be a big event in the history of spaceflight, the discovery an astronomer really likes research, or realizing the joy of teaching. Or it could be several of those things at once. There really isn't a moment in my conscious life where I wasn't interested in what was going on in the universe. That's Dr. Anne Zabludoff, an astronomer at Stewart Observatory. She wanted to be an astronaut when she was in college, but now she does research primarily. She teaches a lot, and she loves doing it. I'd probably walked past Dr. Zabludoff's office hundreds of times. It's right across from the undergrad astronomy lounge, where most of us congregate to eat Oreos and do homework. I've never actually been in it until we did our interview, though. Dr. Zabludoff greeted me warmly. She offered me coffee or tea before I'd even sat down, and wanted to hear all about this podcast project, what I'm planning on doing with it, what I was going to do after my graduation, and then we got down to business. I began by asking Dr. Zabludoff to introduce herself and describe what she does. I'm Ann Zabludoff. I'm a professor in the astronomy department at the University of Arizona here at Stewart Observatory. I've been here for nearly 20 years now, and my research interests are principally in cosmology and how structures on the largest possible scales form in the universe. 
I had done some research prior to meeting with her, so I wasn't surprised by anything she said, any of the research she does. It was pretty standard for astronomers I had talked to in the past, a list of incredibly interesting topics that she worked on, um, research that she'd done in the past. But the more we talked about her daily work, the less we talked about astronomical research. It turns out a lot of what Dr. Zavlidoff does probably doesn't match what people think of as traditional astronomy. My days are quite variable. Uh, what is common among them is that I'm inevitably meeting with students in some capacity. So I have a group of graduate students uh, and some postdocs who work with me on research projects. And quite frankly, one of my favorite parts of the job is actually getting an opportunity to sit down and hear about what they've been working on, seeing uh, some of the figures that they might be making about their research, um, hearing their ideas about how they wish to move forward on a project, what things they tried that worked out, what they didn't, um, if they need some feedback from me, or sometimes they are doing just fine as they are, and I just encourage them to continue. Um, I also uh, spend uh, some time teaching uh, in the classroom, undergraduates, which I thoroughly enjoy. I have things like office hours where people can come to see me informally, and we can talk about issues that they may be having in the class or just about astronomy generally. Uh, I do have quite a few uh, meetings that have to do with various aspects of how we administrate in the observatory, how we select new crops of graduate students, how we select a postdoctoral fellows, how we might even select new faculty members. Uh, we review people. We consult with the director of our observatory. So there are service-related and administrative responsibilities that I have to do. And some of those are fun, and some of those are feel more like work, but they're very important. So I take them as seriously as, I, as possible. Um, I also uh, spend a lot of time uh, talking to people remotely. So uh, there's quite a bit of Skyping and Google Hangouts or Zooming going on, where uh, often these days our collaborations can be large or at least far flung. So I might have collaborators in Korea, or I might have collaborators uh, in distant places like California, <laughs> or on the East Coast, or in Britain, or in Germany. And so we have to coordinate our schedules around those discussions, but those are generally a lot of fun as well. That's a lot of teaching, a lot of time with students, and considerably less time than I was expecting doing simulations, data work, observations, or really anything that falls under the banner of astronomical research. When I asked her about it, she told me, I do occasionally um, get the, the glory and the joy of making my own plot or doing my own calculation, but more often than not, I'm encouraging others and reviewing it a somewhat um, more distant level uh, what it is that they've done. I started to wonder, did she set out to get a degree in astronomy and to do astrophysical research only to end up working mostly with students instead? So I asked, was this always what you wanted to do? And as you might intuit from the intro to this segment, yes. It turns out she grew up during the later days of the space race when, quote, people were landing on the moon or had just landed on the moon. She wanted to do the same and started to look for people in classes that would help her study space and maybe be an astronaut. The public high school to which I went, 
was built in the middle of the space race, so there was a lot of extra money flying around to support things related to space, and it had its own planetarium. It was tiny, but wonderful. And so I had a very encouraging teacher there, uh, several actually, but Mr. Nagley, who ran the planetarium and taught the astronomy classes and some physics classes, uh, really uh, was a fantastic resource, as were several key um, math teachers that I had when I was in school. It turned out there's a lot more to astronomy than just the planetarium. And as she moved through high school and college, she learned more and more. I definitely got the feeling that if I went to a place that had research opportunities uh, and I jumped in with, with both feet, that I would figure out pretty quickly whether or not I enjoyed uh, being a scientist and if that was something that I wanted to pursue for a career. And so I think all through high school I had that in mind and when I got to college um, there were many opportunities not just to learn material through classwork but to actually be in a laboratory setting or go out and freeze staring through a telescope and to, to really learn what scientists did when they did their research. By the time she was early in her undergrad, she knew she wanted to be an astronaut, a goal near and dear to my own heart. But as she soon found out, individual goals can be interrupted by events outside our own control. In this case, it was the Challenger explosion, where all seven crew members, including a teacher, a payload specialist, and five astronauts were killed. I hoped that ultimately I would be able to go to Mars or back to the moon as people uh, had when I was growing up. Um, but the, the Challenger disaster actually happened while I was an undergraduate. And it looked like I mean, a great tragedy um, really made it seem as if NASA would be slowed for a while, and at least in its manned mission aspirations. And I knew by that point how much I loved research. And I thought that it would be equally wonderful to continue on in astronomy as a scientist. Dr. Zavlodov set out to do one thing, and ended up doing something very different, primarily guiding the work of students who are doing their own research. I wanted to know what advice she would give a young student who wants to enter the field, knowing what she does now. Dr. Zavlodov pointed out that yes, math and physics are important, it's good to have a basis in those, but there are other useful skills as well. There are many ways of being involved in things related to astronomy, and if you're not someone who enjoys math or thinks math is for them, you could end up being a wonderful writer about astronomy or someone who, who teaches in, in things that are related to astronomy. There are students that I've had who go into space law. There are people who are interested in zero-g medicine. There are many, many people who um, want to be astronomy adjacent in their, in their careers. And I think whether it's a hobby or, or something that you believe you're designed to do, um, you will find a way if it's interesting enough to you to make a contribution. And I really hope people continue to be as excited as they've been about astronomy. It's certainly something that we all share as, as people on this planet. Everybody can look up and, and wonder, and it doesn't matter what your background is. Basically, yes, things will change, but we can still do what we love, do what we can, and do our best, and the rest will follow. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Starfield. This episode is produced and hosted by me, Hannah Marker, in partnership with Active Galactic Videos, Teach Astronomy, and the University of Arizona. For more information about Active Galactic Videos, to see the NASA 2020 budget report, to learn more about the Trump administration's plans to get to the moon, or to learn more about Dr. Zabludov, check out the links in the podcast description. Many thanks to Dr. Zabludov for interviewing with us this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review on whatever streaming device you use. Until next time, this has been The Starfield.